0: living water, like I've heard that, you know, we all know the story probably from the New Testament with the woman at the well, and we've heard the living water that Jesus offers that. But um, I think it's something that he wants us to dive into a little bit more. Uh, Ever since then, I I don't know if you guys have noticed, but a couple times Tertia and Cody up here over the last several weeks have referenced the living water, that Jesus is the living water. And I'm not going to do this justice because I can't remember who it was that said this, but somebody had a picture or a vision of this church with water flowing from it and nourishing the community. And that is so like on point with the living water that we read about in Scripture. So my general philosophy is if you start hearing something talked about over and over, sometimes that's the Lord signaling that, hey, maybe you should take a look at that and dive into that. So I've had the, the fortune of over the last several weeks just kind of thinking about it, reading different things. And I'm going to be honest, it took me on a journey that... I did not expect. Uh, I was gonna start, or I'm going to start with the story um, of the woman at the well in John chapter four, but then I wanna jump back and, and go on a journey back to the Old Testament where there's this vivid picture of the living water that was fulfilled in Jesus. And so everything points to Jesus, the, the man, the person, um, the spirit that we were worshiping today, everything points to him. And uh, we're gonna talk a little bit more about that. So let's pray before we keep going. Dear Jesus, my mind is jumping all over the place right now. Um, You are so good. Thank you so much for uh, just this time to be together, this time of worship. Thank you that you love us and we get to be in your presence. And Lord, today as we go through uh, the scriptures on living water, I just pray that you will work in each one of us, open our eyes to what we need to hear. Um, Lord, I pray that this will be a time where we feel drawn to you, invited to you, uh, and I pray that you will speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, so I'm going to try and quickly go through the story of the woman at the well in in John chapter 4. And just to set it up, so this is uh, during the time of Jesus' earthly ministry, and he's starting to get a following, and the Pharisees are starting to hear about it. And if you have been around, you kind of know the Pharisees were people of that time that were very religious, they followed rules, they really held to the Old Testament law. They even had oral traditions that weren't necessarily biblical or scriptural or given to them by God that they were holding to. And they would hold people to these things. And, you know, in modern day, we might call that a legalistic type of Christian or a legalistic type of a follower of Christ. They didn't like what Jesus was doing. They didn't like that he had this following um, that was growing and growing and growing and so Jesus was going to get out of town. Um, it wasn't the right time for him to come face-to-face with the Pharisees, have the confrontation. So he was going to go north from Judea to Galilee. And this is one of the most important things in this passage, is he chose to take the short route and go straight through Samaria to get to Galilee. Galilee. But the thing that was happening at this time was Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. I think we've all heard of that, um, you know, as we've studied the Bible. And it goes way back hundreds and hundreds of years when the Israelites were in captivity. Um, You had a big section of the Jewish population. And then uh, as the kings would conquer them, they started interspersing different nations and peoples together. And so you had Jews and Samaritans that started um, getting together, like marrying and having children. The people that were like the staunch you know, Jews, the pure line of the Jews, they looked at these people as, ah, you're a mixed breed. Like, so we kind of view you as lesser than. And there were always these fights going between them. The other thing is there was a difference in worship. So the, the Samaritans, they believed that you go to this place on the mountain, actually right around where this story takes place, and that's where you worship God. Whereas the Israelites, they were like, no, you are in the physical temple. The temple is where you go to worship. And there were some other differences in, in kind of who and how they worship. Um, so they were at odds, a group that were, they were at odds. So the Jews and the Samaritans did not like each other. They kept away from each other. So normally the route would be, if you're going from Judea to Galilee, it would kind of be like coming up from the valley. You'd get up to um, maybe Calabasas, and you'd cut over go to the 118 all the way around, and then come out in Thousand Oaks and then keep going north, like if you wanted to avoid Westlake. That's normally the path. They would go up, cross the Jordan River, go north, cross the Jordan again, and then they'd be up in Galilee, all to avoid interacting with the Samaritans. And I don't mean to spend a lot of time on this, but I think it's important to know Jesus said, I'm going straight through Samaria. And the reason he did it is he had a divine appointment with this woman at the well that's a Samaritan. This tells you all sorts of things about Jesus right there. Um, That could be a whole other sermon. But he does not care what your background is, what you've done, anything like that. He has a desire to know you and to offer you living water. So that's what was happening there. Okay, that's the first six verses. I'm going to have to, like, pick this up. Um, (laughs) So... We're going to have on the screen um, verses 7 through 15, I think. There we go. Uh, So just to read this. So a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then the parentheses, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, as we just talked about. Jesus answered her. Everyone who drinks of this water in the well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, and commentaries say that she was probably rolling her eyes when she said this, um, (laughs) Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So I want to point out a couple things here. Um, The first is, uh, in in the verse preceding these, uh, it talks about it was noon. It was the middle of the day that this took place. So it was the hottest part of the day that Jesus was at the well and that this woman came up. Um, Historians will tell you that during that time period, the women would come to get water. So they're carrying these big water jars. They would come in the morning or in the evening when it's cool. They wouldn't come in the middle of the day. The reason the Samaritan woman, we're going to learn a little bit more in the following verses, but the reason that she was coming in the middle of the day is she was likely shunned by society. Uh, we're going to learn a little bit more about her, uh, but she was probably avoiding interacting with the townspeople because they probably had ridiculed her, judged her, made fun of her. Um, she was an outcast. But um, Jesus knows all that, and he, he went right there. Um, another thing that I want to point out is, um, and it says that, you know, she asked, why are you asking a woman for water. In that time period, um, men would not talk to women that were not related to them, not closely related to them. And they would for sure not ask to drink from their water jar. Like it would be unheard of for a man to say to a woman, can you get me some water and drink from it? Because they don't know each other and just the way the culture was at the time. She also said, you know, I'm a Samaritan woman. So she understands that he is a Jew and likely would not want to interact with her. So it's just shocking to her that he would be asking her uh, for water. And this, to me, again, points out to who Jesus is. Um, Jesus is one who does not care your background. He wants you. It does not matter what you've done, what country you come from, anything. He wants you. Um, so then it says that he offers her the living water of salvation, and, and um, you know, she kind of questions what that is. Um, in the next couple of verses, uh, Jesus then says, hey, go get your husband and tell him to come up here to the well. And she replies and says, well, I have no husband. And then um, these verses pick up. Jesus says to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So I don't know about you, but if I was that woman, it would be like, okay, <laughs> this, <laughs> this is a little, a little different than I was expecting. So she replies and says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. You think? Like That's, that's a pretty good thing. Then she goes in and she says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So what she's doing here is she's pointing out that the Samaritans believe worship is up on the mountain, but Jesus, or, well, she doesn't know his name yet, but she says to this man as a Jew, you believe that Jerusalem, where the temple was, is where you ought to worship. So Jesus replies here with something that I think is very, very powerful. He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. And that's a kind of a statement to some of the practices the Samaritans had gotten into. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews, meaning it's going to descend um, from them. But the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. So it's no longer going to be a location or a place where where worship has to take place. For the Father is seeking people to worship him. Keeps going and says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So now, the woman's probably shaken up a little bit. It's like, who is this man that's talking to me? So she says, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. So she still doesn't know quite who he is. And then he says this statement, I who speak to you am he. He just made a huge, bold statement that he is the Messiah, the Christ that they're waiting for. So a couple of things that I want to point out here. So in these verses where he talks to her and he says, hey, you've been married five times you don't even you're not even married to the one you're with now. It just reminds us God knows everything about us. Jesus knows all there is to know. He knows that there's a reason that she was continually trying to find significance in other men. She'd been married five times was with another man. He knew the longings of her heart. He knew what was going on. But then he goes and he tells her basically the gospel. And he tells her about worship is going to be different than what the Samaritans and the Israelites have have been accustomed to. So that would be probably a shocking thing even to his disciples. Uh, But he offers her living water, and he tells her that he is that Messiah that they've all been waiting for. Uh, In the next few verses, the disciples come back. It says, just then as disciples came back, they marveled that Jesus was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? My guess is by this point in their interactions with him, they know he does unconventional things, so they're just going to let it play out. Um, But this is the part that, um, that I love. Verse 28, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Now, as I was reading and setting on this, um, there was one commentator that said, there's that that statement that says she left her water jar and ran back to the town. She came, and that probably was a heavy water jar. She came to get water. She's leaving with living water that comes from Jesus. And it, it was almost a symbolic, I'm leaving behind the pursuits of what I want as a person because I've now been offered what comes from the Messiah and her response was to run and go back into the town. So now think about this. If she had been ridiculed because she had had five husbands, was likely living with someone that's not her husband now, um, the town probably shunned her, even though she was a Samaritan and they were Samaritans. She was probably looked down upon. Her response after that initial conversation with Jesus about living water was to run to those very people and invite them to come meet Jesus, and I think that's an incredible picture of us. And there was a song we were singing, and I was thinking about it. But we've done so many songs since that I can't remember the part of it. But um, but we have something when we come to faith in Christ that is not meant to stay here. We have something that we should go share and tell others. It was the witness, like um, the things we've witnessed and seen. Um, we have a a duty and an obligation, but it's out of joy because of what Jesus has done to go share that with others. And that's what this woman did. So before we jump over to the Old Testament um, to talk a little bit more, I want to, I really believe anytime you're studying or teaching, uh, you have to come down to a couple of questions. And one of them is, what do you learn about Jesus? One of them is, what do you learn about man? Um, Others are, um, what do you want people to know? And then what do you want them to do? But what I want to point out here about what we learn about Jesus, and we've talked about it already, he pursues us, he knows everything about us, and he offers us the living water of salvation and everything that comes with it. Our response should be to stop chasing the jars that are filled with whatever it is we're pursuing. Um, You all have different things you're pursuing. I have things I'm pursuing. I'm looking for significance. I'm looking for belonging. That needs to stop, and we just pursue the living water that Jesus offers us. Amen. Um, can you all see this mug? Yes. Yeah. It says, I will sustain you. This mug throws me every time I'm cleaning it. It's one of Taden's favorites. Um, and I don't know if it's saying that the coffee will sustain you <laughs> or if it's meant to be like Jesus speaking, but I don't see quotes or Jesus' name on it. So I'm always wondering what my wife is um, trying to get out of this cup. <laughs> but funny, I was, as I was prepping, uh, I was loading the dishwasher, and I got to this one, and I'm like, I always wonder what this means. And then it made me think, how ironic, as we are studying about this woman going to the well with her water jar, looking bigger than just getting water, but looking for the acceptance of people um, for what the world can offer and leaving with what Jesus gives her. And I thought... That so often I think this represents things that we're looking for to sustain us, but the one who can sustain us is Jesus. Coffee is a close second for those <laughs> of you who like coffee, but um, yeah, okay. So normally you'd go Old Testament to New Testament. I'm going to make a jump backwards to the Old Testament now. So this is where I kind of got blown away. Um, thank you to Google and commentaries, you know, you just type in living water, and you know, it starts pulling up everything. So I get taken back to this passage in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 47. And just a little background on Ezekiel. So he was a prophet. He was actually a priest. who became kind of a priest prophet when Israel was in captivity. In the time period, that what, what was happening with Israel was uh, there was a, a time in which they were this kingdom all together. They said to God that they wanted their own king. They didn't want to just have God as their king, but they saw all the nations around them that had kings so they wanted a king. So God warned them about what could come with that, but they're like, "No, we want a king. We want a king." So he gives them a king. Saul was the first king. And if you study scripture, you'll see, I think they call it the chiasm of scripture where it's like this thing where they're like following God, not following God, obeying God, not obeying God. And it's just this cycle, this pattern they go through. And when they're not obeying God, they're like worshipping idols, they're practicing divination, they're doing all sorts of things, pretty bad stuff. So that was the history with them. At some point, there were, there's 12 tribes of Israel. There was this fight going on, and the kingdom broke up into two kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom with 10 tribes, southern kingdom with two. The southern kingdom is the one where Jesus comes through. And it's, it's the kingdom of Judah. So Ezekiel was part of that group. He was part of the Judah group. And so when Israel got split, they were their own kingdoms, and they had kings, and you know, they had times of prosperity and times where they weren't doing well. Then they were really fighting with each other, and eventually they both got conquered by other nations. So the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom, and then Babylon conquered the southern kingdom. And they go into this whole big period of exile, where they're in exile. And it was a really trying and desolate time for the people of Israel. They are scattered everywhere. They're no longer in one place, in one general location. And if you could think of it, it probably feels like it's dead. Like, where is God? does he still love us? Does he still hear us? Because they're under the control of these other nations and kingdoms and it was just not not a great great thing for them. So we come to Ezekiel and so he was a prophet and um, ironically, he was a prophet probably around the same time that Daniel was a prophet in the Babylonian court. So we know the whole story about Daniel in the lion's den and and how he was a faithful man who followed God. Um, Ezekiel was around that same time frame but in a little different area. So, um, in Ezekiel, in the book of Ezekiel, it's a fascinating book. Uh, beginning in chapter 40, it talks about this vision that is given to Ezekiel. And So it says that God takes him, sets him on a, a hill overlooking Jerusalem, and then it, um, it talks about this bronze man, this man that looked of bronze coming up. Um, that may be one of the 100 million angels, I don't know. Um, but this man comes and then takes him through on a, like a, a vision or a tour of, the, of a future temple of a messianic temple. And what I want to point out here is um, there's kind of this, like, this history. So back in the Garden of Eden before sin entered the world, it was perfect. God's presence was there. There was fruitfulness. There was prosperity. Uh, You get the picture of God just walking side by side with Adam and Eve. There was a river that flowed out and nourished the lands around. It was just the perfect, perfect place. And the the thing about um, all of creation and all of us is that's what we long to get back to, is that perfect place with God. So sin enters the world, and there's a whole long history, but eventually after um, the Israelites were in captivity in Egypt, Moses gets them out, um, God goes through and has this tabernacle, which is where he will come and his presence will be with the Israelites, and there were all these things that they had to do, rituals to follow, um, and, and things to be pure, to purify so that, you know, God's presence would be there. Then when they got their land, there was, the, the, was going to be a temple. So no longer this tabernacle roaming around, but a temple where they could come and worship. So the first temple was Solomon's, and it was built in Jerusalem. When they went into captivity, when the Israelites did, the um, temple was taken down. So there's this you know, hope for that to come back. And you fast forward to Ezekiel, and God gives him a picture of this future temple. And I believe this temple was fulfilled in Jesus. And, and it's this pointing forward. And there's some, some different things about this temple. So we're going to read through uh, Ezekiel 47, 1 through 12. Uh, we'll start with the first five verses here. It says, Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, And behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. I like how they put that clarifying thing for us. Um, The water was flowing down from below the south and of the threshold of the temple south, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured 1,000 cubits, which is about 1,500 feet, and then led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured 1,000 cubits and led me through the water, and it was knee deep. Again, he measured 1,000 and led me through the water, and it was waist deep. Again, he measured 1,000, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through." Now, a couple quick things. This is the first time that it was ever talked about about water flowing from the temple. And so Solomon's temple in Jerusalem was built in a very dry area. And to get water in, they'd have to go take advantage of springs or build aqueducts. I think at one point they built a dam to to store water. So this is very significant, that we're getting this picture of a future temple, that the, the water, the source of the water is the temple. And so not to spoil things, but fast forward to the woman at the well where Jesus says, I'm giving you living water. He's the fulfillment of that temple, and that water is flowing. So that's the part that I love of how Scripture comes together. Um, I want to just bring up real quick, um, there's a a vacation spot our family likes to go to um, in Mexico. And a few years ago, I took Caleb out there, um, and then Tate and I were just out there too. But the water um, outside the hotel You can go out so far and the water's only up to not even your full chest. And so you can go and you can stand there and you're ankle deep and the water's beautiful. You go out a little farther, you start seeing fish and different things. But that's the closest thing I can picture to this, of of this trickle of water coming from the temple and it's slowly um, growing in depth and the fullness of that water. I'm going to come back to that um, in a little bit. Verse 6 continues the angel or the man of bronze, said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Araba Araba and enters the sea. And just that sea that it's referencing is the dead sea, which is a salt sea where no life lives. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be very many fish. For this water goes there that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. Does that set off bells in your head? Where the water goes, there is life. Where the water goes, there is like when Jesus says to the woman at the well, I'm offering you a living water, he is offering her life. He is offering her salvation. It talks about how on either side, there's trees that are growing up. Um, it, It talks about the Dead Sea becoming alive. And I love that picture because apart from Jesus, each of us, are dead. Like we're dead in our sins. Our our life has no meaning, no purpose. But when we encounter Jesus and we accept him, the living water he gives us brings us to life. So now think about the, the Samaritan woman probably felt like she was not worthy of anything because of her background. She was given life. God brought her dead heart to life. Jesus brought it to life with that living water this picture of the temple in Ezekiel keeps pointing us to that. It also talks um, in these verses about the the waters swarming with fish. Um, You just get this picture of of Jesus, uh, that that river flowing, and just so many people getting life, gaining life because because of him. Um, The last few verses in this passage... Uh, Verses 10 through 12. Fishermen will stand beside the sea. From Injeti to Iniglam, it will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh, they are left to be salt. And on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. This is now the first time with the temple that concept of healing was brought up. And I I really believe this is pointing towards the the ministry of Jesus. Um, A couple things I want to point out here. So it talks about how the fishermen will stand beside the sea and it'll be a place for the spreading of nets. Um, if you, you know, remember in, I think it's Matthew, uh, where Jesus is talking to his disciples when he's calling them and he said, I will make you fishers of men. Um, I really believe that's this tie-in to that, um, that passage in Ezekiel, uh, that, that there are going to be so many people that are going to get to experience this living water. Um, a- another thing that I, I want to point out, it talks about how there's going to be fish of different sizes and um, many different kinds. I haven't read this, but I believe that is a reminder that God's plan has always been for all people. Um, a lot of times in the Old Testament, you know, we think of like, oh, well, it's the Israelite nation, that that's God's chosen people. That was God's chosen people that he wanted to put blessing into so they would bless the world to bring people to him. It wasn't meant to stop with them. I think this vision that Ezekiel's having where it talks about there's going to be fish of many different kinds is a, a clear reference to There's going to be people from every tribe, tongue, nation that come to the Lord and that we're going to be worshiping with in heaven for all of eternity. Um, It talks about the marshes, how the the marshes are dead and there's nothing, nothing there. It's a reminder that life only happens where the river flows. So if the river's not flowing, it's not going to grow. And I think that was left in there or put in there as this vision that it's through Jesus and his living water that we will have life. But where that water does not flow, there is no life. And so it points us back to Jesus. Um, it also talks about how um, the, there will be fruit for food and, and the leaves for healing, and it talks about the water is flowing from the sanctuary, and, and that's where the, the fruit is growing. That reminds me of John 15, 5, where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I just feel like this entire passage in Ezekiel is pointing us to the work and person of Jesus. It's saying, forget about the physical temple. Yes, it would be great to have that rebuilt. It's great to have houses of worship where we come together. But when we experience the living water of Jesus, that temple comes to us. And there's a verse that that goes on where it talks about, um, I think it's, John 7, where Jesus says, um, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So we get to carry that on with what Jesus is doing. Uh, but I want to I talk about a couple of things here um, about the water growing in depth. I think there's a, a clear invitation from the Lord for us to jump into the water. To dive into that water. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But a a lot of us, I think, like the ankle deep water. Because we go there and it is refreshing. But we still have control. Like I can choose to do whatever I want. It's not dangerous. I go out even up to my knees. It's fine. I go to my waist. It's fine. Um, I mentioned this place in Mexico that we've gone. So Caleb and I were there a few years ago. And we went snorkeling. Um, I'm just going to say it, Caleb saved my life, so thank you, Caleb. Um, we kayaked out to this beach, and then we were snorkeling, and I get lost when I snorkel because I get so amazed that you can be on top of the water. It just looks like water. You get under the water, and instantly you're transformed to another world. There's like fish everywhere. There's coral. There's growth, everything that is just all around underneath the water. So we're going along, and we eventually get past the red flag up on the cliff uh, that you're not supposed to go past and um, I want to turn around and come back and the current is going against me and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> and So I'm like huffing it. My fin falls off in deep water. I couldn't stand anywhere. So I'm like, I kind of come up and I see Caleb and he comes and he pulls me. He's bigger than me. He's taller than me so he, he maybe could still stand but then he went down, got my fin and then I was able to get back But I just want to tell you, I believe that's what Jesus is calling us to. Because I will tell you, when you step in the water ankle deep, we just saw this a few weeks ago, there are small fish, this little. You go a little farther, they're a little bigger. You get a little deeper, they're a little bigger. You get out into the open water, they're big. The stuff you're looking at blows you away. I believe that's the fullness of what Jesus wants to take us into. I think he's fine. Great. You see the little fish? That's great. I have so much more for you. I have so much more. Come out with me to where you have to let go, and you have to grab your Caleb you know, to, to, to hold you. Um, a prophetic thing of Caleb being you know, a Jesus man to me. <laughs> um, but seriously, though, like, there have been times where I've been in those very waters, and I just cannot believe what I'm seeing. And I'm like, oh my goodness, Lord, what you have created is so amazing. And then you come out of the water and look around and nobody else sees it. But you get into that deep water where you cannot stand, where you have to relax and float, where you may have to grab a friend or the boat that's coming by um, to stabilize yourself. That is where Jesus wants us to be. He wants us to let go and to completely trust him. And so I, I think today... There's an invitation to every one of us. Um, I, I think there's different types of people in this room. There's people who have never experienced living water. There's people who have but are still standing in the ankle-deep water. There's others that I know are swimming, um, and sometimes we have to call you back. But uh, you know, I, I think we have everybody here. And I think sometimes what gets in the way, and this is where I come back um, to that opening of that, that song, where we don't feel worthy. We don't feel worthy to fully trust Jesus or to fully accept what he has offered us with this living water. But I want to tell you that he loves you and he wants to give you that living water. Uh, there's a, a slide that we put together. Um, not that one. Next one. That one. Thank you. So on the top here are some characters from the, um, from the Old Testament, one from the New Uh, But Abraham and Sarah, so these are the two that God went to Abraham and he said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Through you, all peoples of the world will be blessed. Abraham and Sarah couldn't have kids at the time, so they had to trust God. Sarah was like, I'm getting old. This isn't going to happen. Offered to have Abraham sleep, and his name was Abram at the time, sleep with their maidservant. So he did, had a son. God's like, that's not the one. So they were doubting God. They took things into their own hand. Moses, he murdered an Egyptian and then had to go on the run uh, because they were um, persecuting the the Jews that were in captivity. When God then came to him and said, I'm going to use you to lead the people out, he doubted, like me? How how could you use me? Rahab and Joshua 2. Rahab the prostitute. That's how she's referred to in scripture. Uh, We'll see in a minute how important she is. David, King David. He was an adulterer, and to cover up the adultery, he arranged to have the woman's husband killed in battle. Paul, his name was Saul at the time, the persecutor of the Christian church. He actually approved the execution of people. He persecuted the Christian church. He was a Pharisee. On the next slide, I want you to understand that God changes those labels and rewrites those stories. So Abraham and Sarah... Hebrews 11, they're called a man and a woman of faith. Moses is also in Hebrews 11, a man of faith. Rahab, also Hebrews 11, a woman of faith. Another thing to point out, she's the great-grandmother of David, and his descendant is Jesus. David, in Acts, you read a reference back to the Old Testament that he's a man after God's own heart. It was his line that resulted in Jesus. And then Paul He's now a Christ follower and an equipper of the Christian church. And you can't even put the references. There's so many. He's written so many books to the churches of the New Testament. If you ever feel like you're not worthy to come to Jesus, look right up here. I titled this, I think, Mess Ups to Saints (laughs) on the, the image. Every one of these people had messed up, but God he cares about your mess ups, but he's not limited by your mess ups. He can still do amazing things and use you. The people he uses are not the person that went through, you know, eight years of ministry school, never blew it. He uses them, sorry, but he, he doesn't just use them. He uses the people that have come to the point of understanding their need for Jesus and that, think about, like, I think every one of us has a story to tell. Every one of us has made mistakes that we regret. Jesus took us and offered us living water, salvation, offered us a chance to play a part in what he's doing. And amazing things can happen. And I think every one of us could be a testimony to the faithfulness and the goodness of God and how he works through us. So I just want you to, as we close and the worship team comes back up, um, I just want you to, Think about that invitation. Jesus is offering you living water. He's offering you salvation. He's offering you a chance to play a part in what he's doing. Um, The close of that song, Living Water, and we're not going to sing it, but I just want these last words. It says, have you heard about a man named Jesus? He's the way, the truth, the life. Stretched out his arms on a rugged cross and paid every sinner's price. That's every one of us. So when you're tired of all your running, you don't have to run no more. You can leave it all behind you. Just believe and be reborn. And then it says, see that cross up on the steeple. So pointing to churches. Hear that sweet forgiveness song. Come join the Jesus people. This is where your heart belongs. So today I want to put that invitation out there. If you've never joined the Jesus people, join today. If you've joined the Jesus people, but you're still standing in ankle or knee-deep water, dive in. Dive in. Uh, I think we'll have people up here if you want to talk or get prayer or talk more about what it means to to receive that living water, please do. Uh, But thank you.